Hey everybody, welcome to Your Move, where we help you make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. I'm Andy Stanley and I'll be your guide. And today we're talking about love and romance and specifically we're talking about the fine print. The fine print that will make you fine. It'll make you worth finding and keeping, no losing and a lot less weeping. Stick around. Now today we are actually in part two of a series entitled Love Dates and Heartbreaks. And this is a series for people who are dating, who used to be dating, who wanna be dating for high school students, college students, graduate students, singles. If you're married, there's something in this series for you for sure. If you're single again, there's something in this series for you. This is a series for anybody who's serious about romance and serious about long-term relationships. And the other reason that I'm excited about this series is not just what you're gonna get out of it, but what I get out of it, because this is my opportunity, as I said last time we were together, to talk about something that breaks my heart. And perhaps more than anything outside, something that could happen in my, you know, my personal family, the thing that breaks my heart the most about our culture and society is watching people make relationship decisions that undermine their relationships. This just breaks my heart because as I said, there, there's so much unavoidable pain in life anyway. The last thing we need to do is complicate our lives further, especially our relationships, by making decisions that undermine the integrity of our personal relationships. And the truth is, we've all seen this. I mean, right, you, you have watched friends and family members make terrible relationship decisions and you thought to yourself, my goodness, do you, can you not see what you're about to do? Can you not see that this is not gonna work? So this is really easy to see when it comes to other people. It's virtually impossible to see in the mirror. And part of the reason is love is a fog and romance is a fog and lust and everything that goes, it's just a fog. And so consequently, it's sometimes it's very difficult to see bad relational decisions in the mirror. So that's one of the reasons that we're talking about it. Now, last week we said that a lot of the confusion around love and romance and dating and all this stuff comes from two myths. And these myths sort of operate in the background of our thinking. And as soon as we talk about them, clearly they're myths. You're, you're smart enough to know that can't possibly be true. So we talked last week about the right person myth. The right person myth is not that there's not a right person. The right person myth is that once you meet the right person, everything will be all right. And all the married people chuckled, if you'll remember, right? Because, and the myth goes like this, that regardless of what you do between now and the time that you meet the right person, once you meet the right person, all of that goes away and everything's gonna be just fine. It's a myth, the right person myth, it's a myth. And yet this infects our decisions and it really fuels our fantasies, right? And the reason I say it fuels our fantasies is let's just all be honest, right? What, what do we fantasize about? We, we fantasize about finding the right person. Nobody ever sits around and at night staring up at the ceiling fantasizing about becoming the right person, right? It's always about as soon as I meet them, I'm gonna be happy. As soon as I meet them, I'm gonna be fine. As soon as I meet them, I'm gonna be better. And that is a myth and you're adults and you know that's a myth. So the question we left you with is, are you becoming the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? And are you becoming the person that the person that married you was hoping for? And then we explored this, this second myth. We call this the promise myth. The promise myth is that a promise replaces preparation, that a promise replaces the need for preparation, that you don't have to prepare for a relationship. You can promise yourself into it all you need 
All you need is a promise and a party, a vow, a ring, and a party, and boom, you're in. You can promise yourself into relational maturity. You can promise yourself into great relationship habits. And of course, that's a myth as well because a promise is no substitute for preparation. Um, athletes certainly know this. Athletes don't promise to win games. Athletes, what do they do? They prepare to win. This is my point, you know this. To win relationally, whether you're in marriage, looking to get married, dating, to win relationally, you have to prepare. Remember, saying I do does not make you capable. It only makes you accountable. I'm gonna let you fill in a blank. And when you are accountable, but not capable, you are eventually miserable. Thank you. You got it down here on the front row. Way to go, ma'am. When you are accountable, but you're not capable, you are eventually Miserable, that's right. That's why following Jesus doesn't just make your life better. Following Jesus actually makes you better at life because when you choose to follow Jesus, he will lead you in the direction of relational integrity because Jesus is all about relationships because in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth and God created humanity and God gave us personalities and God made us in his image, which means we are innately relational people. And here's the thing, and this, you may misunderstand this, but I'll put it out there anyway. When you read the gospels, Jesus' invitation is not pray to me. It's not promise to me. It's certainly not negotiate with me. His invitation is follow me, follow me. And where are you gonna take us? He said, I'll take you somewhere simple. I'll take you somewhere memorable. I'll take you somewhere demanding and I'll take you somewhere rewarding because I'm gonna take you to a single command that when you understand it fully changes everything and has the potential to change everything, especially relationally. So here's what Jesus left his first century followers with. Here's what he left us with. It's so simple. We have complicated it. People that do what I do for a living have complicated it. The church has complicated it. It is so simple. He says, guys, if you forget everything else, my command is this, love each other, but not the way you've been loved, not the way you hear about love, not the way you imagine love. You are to love each other as I have loved you, which is a whole nother kind of love. And that's where we left off last week. So today we're gonna pick it up there and we're gonna talk about the fine print, the fine print, because there's always fine print, right? But this isn't gotcha fine print. This is fine print that will make you fine. It will make you someone worth finding. It will make you someone worth keeping. And these are the things, the things we're gonna talk about today and next time we're together. These are the things we have to get good at. These are our, or should be our sweet skills. And dating, even though no one's told you this before perhaps, dating is actually practice. So while everybody else is trying to get better in bed, you're gonna get better at being a better person. Awkward pause, by the way. <laughs> By the way, this is worth the whole few minutes you're gonna spend with us today. Romance is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. Romance in a relationship is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. Sex does not make a relationship. Sex makes babies, okay? Not anyone wrote that down, I'm just shocked. But here's what, every time they do surveys about sex, you know what they discover? That happily married people, that happily married people ultimately have more happily ever after sex, right? 
So the Apostle Paul, what he does, he brings us the fine print. And here's what he did. The Apostle Paul came along after Jesus and he took Jesus' single command, love each other the way that I've loved you. And he takes it to the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. And he realizes, uh oh, we have a little bit of a culture challenge here. And so he teases it out so that they could understand exactly what Jesus meant when he said, you're to love each other the way that I have loved you. The Apostle Paul's imperatives or the Apostle Paul's commands, whenever you're reading one of his letters and he says, here's what you should do, here's what you shouldn't do, here's what you should do, here's what you do, he's not giving new commands. He is simply giving us applications of Jesus' one single command. This is why before his imperatives and after his imperatives, Paul always ties everything to being in Christ or about Christ or the resurrection or just as, just as, just as Christ loved us, just as God and Christ loved us. He's not giving us new commands. He's saying, here's what it looks like in the real world. So essentially the apostle Paul comes along and he defines love for us. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is not pushy. If someone is pushing you, they are not loving you. Love actually pushes me to give you room because you don't wanna be pushed. You don't wanna be rushed. Unless you're a college freshman, that's a whole different thing, okay? You don't wanna be rushed, right? Love, love chooses, this, this is the cool thing about love. Love chooses, because it's always a choice. Love chooses to move at the other person's pace. Love is a decision to pause rather than push. Love is a decision to pause rather than push. It's not natural. Do you know what's natural? Your pace is natural. That's why you think everyone should run and live and do life at your pace because it's natural and you wonder what's wrong with everyone else, right? That's what causes relationship challenges. Love doesn't expect everybody to keep pace with me. Love says, I'm gonna discover your pace and I'm gonna slow down or speed up and try to keep pace with you. Here's the two words you're gonna hear throughout this message in next week. Love defers because it's what God did for you. And it's what God did for me. That God didn't force his pace on us. God did the most extraordinary thing. God accommodated. In fact, the best way to understand the entire Old and New Testament is that God accommodates to our capacity. God, like a good father, leans over and speaks our language, language we can understand. He goes at our pace. Because if he went at his pace, which is faster than the speed of light, we wouldn't know anything about God. So God accommodates to our capacity. And he says, now, here's what I want you to do. Dads, husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, friends, friends. I want you to get in the habit. I want you to practice. I want you to practice accommodating. I want you to accommodate to other people's capacity. God moved at our pace. We're to do the same for others. To go the distance relationally. You know this. To go the distance relationally, you've got to exercise your patience muscle. And the way you exercise a patience muscle is by practicing patience now in your current relationship so you'll be ready to exercise it later. Love is patient. Love is patient. Anybody know what the next one is? Love is? Yeah, love is kind. And this seems like such a weak word, like a soft word. 
But men especially, you need to know this. Kindness is actually an expression of strength. Unkindness is weakness. Unkindness is weakness it means, because it means you can't bridle yourself. You can't tame your tongue. You can't control yourself. Unkindness is evidence of weakness. Unkindness in, indicates that you can't control yourself. And I've given you this definition before. Do you know what kindness is? Kindness is simply loaning someone your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. Kindness is, I'm gonna lean in your direction. I'm not gonna remind you, oh, you did that again. Oh, you always do that. It's like, how many times have we talked about this? I mean, look at this room. Kindness, kindness is not constantly reminding someone of their weakness. Kindness is loaning them your strength. It's doing for others. I mean, this is what God did for you. It's doing for others what they cannot in the moment do for themselves. Kindness is love's response to weakness. It's what God did for you. Paul said it this way, while you were still a sinner, God didn't put his hands on his hips and say, you did what? Again, call me when you get that worked out, right? While you were still a sinner looking through the portals of history, knowing your life and your promises and your broken promises and your commitments and your vows and the things that you've gone you know, reversed on and knowing all that, Knowing that you are still a sinner, Christ died for you. He loaned you his strength in the midst of your weakness. This is what we sing about, it's what as Christians we celebrate and God says, okay, you got it? Oh, I'm so grateful for it. Okay, I want you to do that for some other people. I want you to loan them your strength instead of constantly reminding them of their weakness. So here's a question. What, and this is a big, this is a big deal. What is your go-to response to weakness? What is your go-to response to weakness in other people? If you're dating someone, you need to pay close attention to this. You need to pay close attention to their go-to response to weakness in others. Because if they're pursuing you, they're on their best behavior with you. But their response to weakness in others will eventually be their response to the weakness in you. And just a little heads up, people who use kindness as a means to an end, are often mean in the end. Next up, Paul gives us a toxic trio. He says, let me tell you what other thing love does, not just any kind of love, the God's love toward us that we're to demonstrate to others. He says, love does not envy, it doesn't boast, and it's never proud. Love does not envy, love does not boast, and love is not proud. Love allows the other person to shine. Love is willing to step out of the spotlight, even when they have reason to step into the spotlight. This is so huge. This is so important. This is so much learning to do for others what God and Christ has done for us. Love isn't threatened by other people's success. Love is able to celebrate other people's success without adding their own story, without reminding everybody else of your success. Now here's where this is hard. And this is where love leans in on the things that we need to work on personally. See, you know this, if you, if you don't feel good, if, if you don't feel good about yourself, it's hard to let others feel good about themselves, right? 
And if there is something in you that has a hard time allowing them to stay in the spotlight without stepping in and saying, well, you know, when I was in college, now get out of here, okay? Well, you know, there was a time when, no, if, if there's something in you that just can't let someone close to you and someone you supposedly love stand in the spotlight alone, it's because there's something in you you need to work on. And if there's something in you that you need to work on, work on it, otherwise it undermines your ability to love as God and Christ has loved you. Because think about this, Paul, I mean, he, he just pens these powerful words that Jesus, think about this, Jesus was in very nature God but he did not allow his equality with God to move him to grasp his equality with God. He didn't show up at the restaurant and say, corner table, um, ask them to move, Jesus is here. He never, listen, this is, listen, he never, play, he never played the God card to get his own way. And if your savior was willing to stay out of the spotlight that he deserved, that he earned, that he had every right to step into, he says, now, I want you to do for others exactly what I've done for you. I want you to forego your privilege sometimes. I want you to forego the credit that you deserve. I want you to forego the opportunity that comes along every once in a while to talk about all that you've done so that you can highlight what other people have done. Do you do that? Or is there, this, is there something in you that's like you just, you just have to throw your hat in the ring, you just gotta step in. If that's in you, that is gonna undermine your ability to love those around you. Pay close attention, pay close attention to your internal reaction to the success of the people closest to you. How difficult is it for you to celebrate the success of the people who are close to you, are closest to you? And if there's something in you that strains and struggles, you have work to do. You gotta exercise that muscle. You gotta exercise that muscle a lot. And this third one, this next one is so important in our culture. I, I thought about just making, spending you know, 35 minutes just talking about this one, it's such a big deal because the apostle Paul uses a word we don't use that much, that we should use more. Here's what he says. He said, love does not dishonor others. Love does not dishonor others. Love does not behave disgracefully, dishonorably, or indecently. Love doesn't create regret. Love doesn't insist on another drink. Hey guys, let me ask you this. Do you know how unique you would be in our world, in our culture? Do you know how unique you would be if you decided today, I will never dishonor another woman for the rest of my life? For the rest of my life, I'm going to honor women the way that God and Christ honored me, I will not be another woman's regret. Do you know how unique that would make you? But more importantly than that, do you know how much more like Christ that would make you? We don't use this term much, honor. But I'm telling you, honor is at the heart of every satisfying relationship. 
And the Apostle Paul, again, he does us a big favor. He actually defines honor for us. Here's what he says, here's what it looks like. He says, if you wanna honor another person, here's the practical side of it. Just value others above yourself. Just value others above yourself. Because they're more valuable, no. They're not more valuable than you, but you treat them as if they're more valuable. Why? Because that's what God and Christ did for you. Come on, when Jesus went to the cross, what did he say about you? What did he say about me? If a person is willing to lay down their life for you, whether or not their life is actually more valuable than yours isn't the issue. The fact that they would submit themselves to you, place themselves under you, take their burden on you. This is what God in Christ modeled for us. This is what honor looks like. This is what it looks like to value someone as, as if they were more important or greater than yourself. And here's the thing, everybody listening and everybody in this room and everybody everywhere watching, you know how to do this. You know how to do this, you, we just don't do it. Here's how I know that you know how to do this. Imagine that you had the opportunity to have dinner with your favorite actor, actress, or recording artist. Think about how you would prepare. Think about the, 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 all that you would go through to prepare. Think about how you would behave. That's what honor looks like. It's treating someone as if they are more important or more valuable than you. Do you know what you would do? You know how to do this. You don't need any lessons. You would bring your best version of you to that dinner. You would show up early. And if they arrived late, you wouldn't say, hey, Denzel, man, where you been? I got stuff to do, okay? I, you know, if you're gonna show up late, you know, I, I can't, I don't know if we can do this again, right? No, you're going to, here's the word again, you're gonna defer, it's not a big deal. It's not a big, no, 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 I'm so, I'm so honored to have dinner with you. It doesn't matter to me that you're late. The honor is all mine. You know how to do this. That's what your heavenly father did for you. And he says, now, I don't want you to just love. I want you to love as I have loved can I flip this around and give you some dangerous advice? And part of me wants to qualify it and part of me doesn't wanna qualify it. So I'll just assume that we're all mature adults and you'll take this the way I mean it. Don't stay, don't stay in a relationship where you are consistently, constantly dishonored. If you're dating someone and you're consistently dishonored, break up today. In fact, you have permission to get your phone out and break up now. And I don't think breaking up with a text is generally a good idea. In this case, break up now and then hand someone your phone and change your number, okay? If you are in a relay, I'm serious. If you're in a relationship where you are consistently and constantly just put down, put down, put down, put down, dishonored, get out. Because eventually, if you don't, you will come to the conclusion that you are a dishonorable person. And once you conclude you're a dishonorable person, you will begin to behave dishonorably, which keeps the cycle going. And you need to get out of that because you are inherently honorable. And here's how I know that, even though I haven't met you. The value of a thing, the value of a thing is determined by the price it will bring. Economics 101. 
God sent his son into this world to pay a price for you. You're not even your own. You are extraordinarily valuable. You deserve to be honored because of who you belong to. And if you're in a relationship where you are dishonored, please, please, please get out. You say, well, Andy, I'm married. I know it's complicated. I'm not advocating for divorce. Please don't everybody show up tomorrow at the office and say, well, I don't have anywhere to go. Andy told me to hit the road. And please don't use this as an excuse to get out of a relationship that you need to stay in. You're just not willing to do the work. But if you are in an environment where you are constantly dishonored, it's so unhealthy. So don't allow yourself to be dishonored. But the real application is this, don't dishonor another person. And you already know how to do this. Now, at this point, especially if you're in the dating game, you're thinking, okay, time out. We gotta stop all this, time out, time out. Andy, this is, this is like the worst date ever. I've never heard of, this is like the worst date. So we're gonna get together and I'm gonna be kind, you know, and I'm gonna be patient, you know, and then, you know, I'm probably gonna have him drop me off at 8.30, you know, so he'll have time to get home and get ready for work or I'll, you know, I'll drop her off at nine to make sure she has time. You know, this sounds like, this, is, this is, sounds terrible. Of course it does, because you and I are raised in a culture and live in a culture where dating isn't about becoming somebody. We live in a culture where dating is about getting somebody. It's fueled by the right person myth. It's fueled by this assumption that I don't need to prepare. I don't need to exercise any of these muscles. I just need to kind of go out there and hunt, right? <laughs> so here's the deal. You may not like my version of a date. In fact, you can go out and be impatient and unkind and dishonorable while you look for someone who is patient and kind and honorable, but they're probably not looking for you. Not if they have any sense. This is about preparing to win. This is about exercising these muscles so that when you meet the person of your dreams, and I hope everybody does, that you will be prepared because Jesus' new covenant command and the apostle Paul's fine print, this is how you become a person worth looking for. And if you are in a relationship and married, this is how you become or continue to be someone worth staying for. It's how you become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. And it's how you become the person, the person who entrusted their future to you was hoping for. And I understand why it gets so quiet and messages like this. None of this comes naturally, right? I mean, naturally leads to naturally. Naturally does not lead to satisfying relationships. Most married people thought this stuff would come naturally once they met the right person, just to put it out there. They thought, no laughing, their partner would be so perfect, it wouldn't require any patience. Come on, we're adults. We know better than that. This can't continue to fuel our relationship decisions now for the future. Now, here's the good news. Sandra and I have been married 31 years. That's not the good news, that, that is good news. But here's the good news from the 31 years. Marrying someone, marrying well, will make you a better person. When I was dating her, when I was on my best behavior, we all know how to do that. But in marriage, I'm confronted with the raw me. And suddenly I, those muscles that I hadn't exercised the way I needed to exercise them, I paid for that. And unfortunately, of course, she paid for that. So if you marry well, you're gonna face your selfishness and it's gonna make you better. And here's the cool thing for those of you who aren't married, eventually you will, you will perfect it. 
You will overcome all of your self-centeredness and then you'll have children. <laughs> Whether you have them biologically or adopt them or foster them and it starts all over again and you realize what a creep you really are. <laughs> here's the thing, here's the thing, look. I want you to win relationally. I want you to win relationally in the relationship you're in now. I want you to win in a relationship that maybe is in the future for you. And here's what I know. Between now and then, what you do matters. Between now and then, how you treat people matters. Between now and then and how you date, it matters. Between now and then, how you respond to the people you're getting close to, all of this matters. It is all preparation and you are either using this time to prepare or you're thinking, I don't need to prepare. It's all gonna work out fine once I meet the right person. And here's the promise. And here's where we'll pick it up next time. Following Jesus, embracing the fine print that the apostle Paul is gonna give us more of next time following Jesus, embracing this one overarching, demanding, rewarding command to learn to love as God in Christ has loved us, prepares you to win. So don't miss part three of Love Dates and Heartbreaks. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Your Move podcast and be sure to check out our website where you'll find your next step, including resources like our free conversation starters based on today's episode. You can access those by simply clicking on the link in our show notes. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next time and we will continue to explore how to make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. Thanks for listening.